Hey, I'm back. <clears throat> um, okay, I know he is, but what am I? This has been a th- final today. This has been a three-part teaching series that literally has taken us six weeks. I think it may even be seven to get through. So if you've only been here three times in the last seven weeks, there's actually a chance you haven't missed a thing from this series, right? The big idea about this conversation we're having as a church is that it's, and, 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 I, and, and I finished uh, part two a couple of weeks ago with this slide, this thought, that it is critical for you and I to know who God is. And the way we know who he is, is he wrote a lot of stuff to us describing who he is. And it's in a thing called the Bible and it's all there. And he defines who he is. And we need to make sure we get a clear picture and a clear understanding of who he is. Not, not, not what we may have been taught he is, even though some of that may be right. But to, to, to find out for ourselves, who does God say he is? Then we ask the question, okay, I know he is, but what am I? And there's a lot of people that have, that have tried to shape your identity and my identity as we've grown up. And some of those have been positive influences. Some of them, however, may not have been such positive influences. We need to recalibrate everything about our identity and base it purely on who does God say we are. And there's a ton of stuff in the very same book that I just mentioned called the Bible, where God tells us who we are. And then it's out of that identity out of that revelation and this clarity that God can bring of who he sees us, which is our true identity, out of that identity that we function, out of that identity, that explains, that describes what we do and how we do it. And if we can get some of that clear and start to function on some of that it's a game changer. It's a game changer for us. It's a game changer for, for everything and everyone around us. So there's a topic I want to cover today that is absolutely vital for you and I to get good at, to become world-class at. And I want to get into that right now. Let me ask you a question. And just put your hand up if, this, if, if there's a yes to, to this question. How many of you know somebody who's difficult? Anyone? Anyone? Keep your hands up. Maybe it's an annoying boss. Maybe it's a stubborn child. Maybe it's a puzzling relative. Does anybody know anyone who's difficult? Is anybody sitting next to somebody who's difficult? All right. We don't want to actually start a, a fight yet. We'll come to that later. It's no surprise to me that pretty much every one of us knows somebody who's difficult. And, and they may, we even may know several people who are difficult. Jesus said this incredibly challenging thing. It was recorded by John. He said, this is how everyone 
will recognize that you're my disciples. What's the this? When they see the love you have for each other. This, the way you love each other. This is how everyone will know you're my disciples. If you don't do this well, the way you love one another, it's not going to be obvious to everyone that you're my disciples. But if you do this well, love one another, then everyone, everyone will connect the dots that you must be Jesus' disciples because you're different. You don't act like everyone else I know. When it comes to this sort of stuff, you seem to have a better grip on loving other people. And, and this word love that Jesus used, he wasn't describing a feeling. The word is a verb. He's describing the way, the practices, the things, the behaviors. Know who God is. Know who God says you are. And then allow that to define what we do. Well, how do we love one another? Now, I got to tell you, we could probably teach that every week, week in, week out for years and not run out of examples of how we can and should love one another. What I want to drill down in today is an area where I see a lot of people coming unstuck. And it's the area of conflict resolution. Last year, this topic is so important that last year on one of our team members, all in nights, we gather our team members and, and, uh, and, and, and coach them in uh, leadership and life. Um, and last year, I, I hit this topic of how to communicate in a way that builds trust, how to actually do communication and conflict management, etc., in a way that builds trust. And uh, I was actually quite humbled at the end of, of, of teaching our team members that uh, one of our leaders, Baden Johnson, um, asked me in front of everyone, he said, Mark, you're pretty good at this. How did you get so good at it? Now, you know, I, I was genuinely humbled that, that he would say that. Um, and I, I, I don't actually consider myself an expert in this field, but I'm very much a student um, in this field. And, and, and I explained to Baden, and I've, and I've told several people since, I became a student of how to do conflict management, conflict resolution well. I became a student of that about 20 years ago. And it was something that I took upon myself to become better at for two reasons. Number one, something of my family background. And uh, two weeks ago, I shared a little bit of that. You can get back to our podcast and, uh, and listen to that. Uh, my father, you would not know it now, but when I was growing up, he suffered from severe depression. Uh, he was hospitalized in, in psychiatric hospital uh, for many months on, on a couple of occasions. Um, and, and, and when something ripped my dad's undies, he would, he would only do one of two things. He would either explode or hide. So he would either run around our house and tear everybody and everything to shreds, or he would burrow into his bedroom, lock the door behind him for, for, for hours and sometimes days at a time. So, so my experience modeling to me of how to handle conflict was you had either 
one of two options, explode or hide. And neither of those intuitively, and as I reached you know, my sort of late teens, early 20s, they didn't seem to me to be the best mechanisms. And I wondered if there was better ways to handle conflict. And then I got into a church leadership scenario. And, uh, you know, here's Jesus banging on about everyone will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. And uh, for a period of, of, uh, of time, um, I was serving under a leader, and, and I'm not going to tell you who, when, or where, and I, and, I, and I prefer you didn't even try to guess either. But I was serving in a particular setting with a particular leader who did what my dad used to do. Except in this case, what would happen is one day this leader would just absolutely erupt like thermonuclear reaction erupt over what seemed to be something, you know, little and inconsequential. And I'll be like, you know, getting pinned to the wall by the velocity of the, of the response thinking the punishment doesn't fit the crime here. What the heck's going on? Only to learn that, that this particular leader had, had been building up and building up about the little thing here, followed by maybe the little thing there and, 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 and the little thing there. And that stuff doesn't go away. It builds up. And then all of a sudden, the, the kind of the final you know, fuse was lit and boom. And again, I'm like, I just, I just don't know that the, this is the best way to do this. I know what I'll do. I'll start to find out if there are better ways. And uh, I'll come back to a couple of resources in a minute. One of the myths that we've, some people have bought into is that the healthy goal of any relationship is an absence of conflict. That you'll know that a relationship is healthy if, if, if everyone agrees all the time about everything and uh, we all lived happily ever after. Well, like any good fairy tale that ends with the words happily ever after, it's simply not true. The goal isn't an absence of conflict. And when I taught this at our team members all in night, I borrowed uh, a model from a leadership um, expert named Patrick Lencioni. And, and he just simply put, put this up as uh, a model for what healthy conflict looks like and, and where it should live. At the, the far, well, this one we know about, right? Mean-spirited personal attacks. Probably most of us at some point in our life have been a victim of somebody else's mean-spirited personal attacks, right? You don't have to, you know, name and shame them. But, but, but I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, c- can understand that. We know what that feels like to be on the receiving end of that. And, and if you're on the receiving end of that, or if, you're, or if you're in a situation or have a relationship where this is the normal, if this is what happens the most, you might think that the goal is to have no conflict. But actually, that is just as uh, unhealthy as having mean-spirited personal attacks because it's actually artificial harmony. Because, folks, come on. Stuff ticks us off, right? How many of us, how many of you have ever experienced something that ticked you off? 
How many of you have ever experienced someone that's ticked you off? All right. How many of you have had some conflict? How many have had conflict this week? How many have had conflict this morning? Ah, yeah. You don't want to answer that because it's probably with the person you're sitting next to or the person you left behind at home. I'm going without you. <laughs> it's raining. You can walk or ride your Vespa. Whatever cruel punishment. <clears throat> the goal isn't our absence of conflict, and certainly the goal isn't mean-spirited personal attacks. There's actually a bandwidth, and he's got a, a conflict point. I'd say it's probably more of a bandwidth, personally, that we can actually live where there's actually constructive ways to handle conflict. And actually, if conflict is handled well, I want to put it to you that it can actually be used to build trust and understanding in relationships, whereas poorly handled conflict actually erodes trust in relationships. And my observation is, you know, I talked about my dad and I talked about a leadership setting that I was a part of. My observation is that actually a lot of people that I know don't set out to do conflict poorly. In fact, I'd say if I was to survey most of them, that there'd be a goal to actually do it well. But this isn't a sixth sense. This is actually a skill. It's something we can learn. It's something we can get better at. And that's what I chose to do. Uh, As I said, I began about 20 years ago. I've never heard anyone teach on this subject. I've never been in a church setting where anyone's taught on it. Anything that I've learned, I've gone after myself. And, And I'm saying that to you to say this, that in the next 20 minutes, you're not going to learn all you need to know about this topic. I'm just going to, going to, kind of going to tee the ball off down the fairway, but you have to pick the ball up if you want to get better at this and run with that like I've done and continue to do. I'll give you a leg up though, is uh, the book that uh, I got when I, about 20 years ago, the first book I got, and uh, you can see the design style. It looks like it was designed over 20 years ago, and it was. Thankfully, there's some updated artwork on the current version. Uh, but mind you, once you've opened the cover, you don't have to look at it anymore. Um, David Orsberger, not Asperger, because that's a whole other thing and a cause for conflict, if anyone knows people with that situation. Uh, caring enough to confront. It's very thin. And uh, this is kind of like, if, if you were to get a starting point, as a Christian uh, uh, counselor and professor in that subject, I'd recommend that. And uh, it should get you started. Although I'm going to kind of get started with that. Now, before I go on, if you're sitting next to a family member, spouse, relative, friend, here's what I need you to do right now. I want you to turn to them and I want you to say these words out loud. Say these words to them. This message is for me. I will not use it against you. All right. This is the rules. It's the rules of engagement. This me- Say it again, this time with conviction. This message is for me. I will not use it against you. I've been doing this for a while. I fast forwarded this particular DVD. I know how it works. You'll get home some conflict. Remember Mark said you're not meant to do. This message is for me. I will not use it against you. 
When it comes to how we, res- how we handle conflict, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we actually have a head start in this. We've got a person who is also God called the Holy Spirit. And he says that he will actually work in us and through us as we continue to follow Jesus, that we'll actually grow, we'll be transformed in in a lot of key areas. And one key area that the Holy Spirit can actually uh, boost our uh, humble superpowers with is the area of self-control. And and it's kind of a little bit paradoxical because whilst it's self-control, it's actually the Holy Spirit giving us the power to have the self-control. So it's kind of trusting him, but he works with us. He works in us and he works through us. And, I, and it's important that, that we understand that because we could be just in a lecture theater at a university and I could teach you some principles about how to better do conflict resolution. But I don't want to limit it to that. We need to understand that there's something going on behind the curtain, something we as followers of Jesus have access to. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us to give us an extra bit of horsepower that is self-control, right? One of the big lessons that we can learn in doing conflict well is that when conflict arises, and it invariably will, and in many cases should, a key that we need to learn is to respond rather than react, okay? Respond rather than react. See, reacting hands control over to the circumstances and or the other person. Response hands control over to the Holy Spirit working in and through us in that situation, okay? And all I want to do In the short time we have left, all I want to do is talk about two types of reactors. And these are pretty kind of bold generalizations. And I'm not suggesting everyone is either one or or the other of these. Uh, What I'm about to describe, my father was sometimes one and sometimes the other. So I'm going to talk about two types of reactors or, or maybe two types of reactions. Okay. The first type of reactor or reactions is the exploders. And exploders are cursed with the right to be right. They, and I'm a recovering exploder, we love to be right. We feel that we have the right to be right. And what that means is when we have conflict with another person, let me tell you, this is what we do. Well, you know, what I used to do and what sometimes I still think about doing. Exploders, um, they like to have the last word in the, in the conflict. In other words, it doesn't end until I say it ends. They like the conflict to, to end on their terms. So it's only going to end when you agree that I'm right, even if I'm wrong. The only way to end this conflict is for you to actually agree that I'm right. Because I'm not going to say I'm wrong. I don't have the word in my vocabulary. It means that escalation is the name of the game, not restoration. Because I'll explode at you, and if you come back at me, I'm just going to give you even more horsepower. 
I'm going to dial this puppy up. And if you want to come back again, I'm just going to keep dialing it up until you're exhausted and you just wave the white flag. Well, by that stage, World War III is, uh, is finished and the, the, there's only blood and guts and limbs strewn around the battlefield. Not exactly a win for anybody. <clears throat> we, uh, we like to, particularly if we've got a pretty weak case, you know, the evidence isn't exactly backing up our position. And uh, we start to run out of emotional horsepower. And we start to realize that our argument's pretty weak. Well, that's when we start to bring in other bits of evidence that have absolutely nothing to do with what you're reacting to. But they add to the overall case. Well, if that's not enough, last week, four years ago, I remember when you... Right? Some of you can relate to this because you are the exploders. And some of you can relate to this because you've been on the receiving end of the exploders. And, uh, and then the other one, if that's not working or if that starts to run out of effectiveness, we bring out the big guns. Sweeping generalizations. You always and you never, which is almost always wrong and almost never true. But it doesn't stop you throwing that in the mix. And this thing of escalation, it erodes the other person because you're just steamrolling them. You're devaluing them. You think it's about win-lose, but actually what happens is it's lose-lose because the actual trust in that relationship starts to erode as and when we handle that way. And I know this because this was me. And uh, in the first few years of, of our marriage, and I've said this before, we've been married 16 years, happily for 11. Well, 16 and a half, but it kind of, I'll do the jokes around here, toots, all right? You stick to the shoe stories. <laughs> Louie's got these new pants on today, and she asked, she, she put them on yesterday to show, oh, should I wear these tomorrow? They don't make me look like Usher. And I'm like, sweetheart, Usher is a man, and he's black. <laughs> You're a short female midget wog. So no. And then that just led to some conflict and some escalation. You always say that I'm not black. Okay, you're black. <laughs> oh, happy times. Anyway, back to my story. Um, uh, married for 16 years, happily for 11. Because the first five years of our marriage were just, was, was this, was like living inside a volcano. And uh, because all I knew, knew how to do was explode. When, you know, the Bible says when we get married, the two become one. But I don't think God realized that that's actually, yes, that's true. But it's also a process to live that out. And it took us a while to live that out. Um, in the first part of our marriage, I thought it was actually bliss. Probably for about the first six months. Because I was the exploder and I'd do the steamrolling and Louie would just lie down and let me run over her and then sneak outside to phone her mum in tears. And I thought, well, that's a win. I got the, I got the last word. Awesome. Ka-ching. And uh, about six months into our marriage, Louie grew some balls. <laughs> and she didn't start laying down when the steamroller was headed her way anymore. She, she went out and got her own steamroller and decided to drive it straight back at me in the opposite direction. And it was, it was ugly. There was a lot of crockery destroyed 
in the first five years of our marriage. Thankfully, none of us ever actually hit the other one. When you get angry, you kind of lose your coordination a bit. So we would throw stuff, but it would always miss. So, uh, <laughs> so to the exploders, I, I, look, I'm having a, a bit of fun with it, and, and I can probably have a bit of fun because this is mostly in the rearview mirror for my life. I am aware that this may not be in the rearview mirror for you. I'm aware that this may be your thing. I'm also aware that you may have relationships with people who are exploders. And I have to say this to you to just make sure we all kind of keep it real here is you won't be able to control them. Okay. The fruit of the spirit is self-control, not other control. Okay. No, but that's not great news to hear that. Because some of you actually live in, in a, maybe have some kind of people who are quite abusive. I was abusive to Louis, verbally and emotionally, as an exploder. But we've only got limited time today, and, 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 and so I just want to talk about you if you are an exploder. Or if you're prone to being an, being an exploder when something's ripping your undies. Solomon, I quoted him earlier in his timeless book of ancient wisdom. He gave the exploders this advice in instead of responding, I mean reacting, respond with a pause. Something's going to rip your undies, something rips our undies, always rips our undies from, you know, time to time. Respond, don't react. And the response, the best response is a pause. The more talk the less truth, the wise measure their words. Now, here's why this differs from a healthy relationship seminar at the local community center. is because it's in the pause that the Holy Spirit can take control. Do you understand? If we just react and explode, the circumstances have taken control, Right? But if you can learn, and you have to learn this. I had to learn this. It wasn't natural. Oh, I had to make it supernatural. I had to learn to pause and let the Holy Spirit intervene. Like block the tackle. You understand? Because the goal is relationship restoration not conflict escalation. And it's more important to be right with people than to be right, period. They will know, everyone will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. You can run around with the right to be right. That's not how you're going to help people connect the dots between you and Jesus. There's another reaction. And as I said, this may be you all the time or this may be you some of the time and in, 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 in just, uh, you know, uh, talking about my background, uh, grew up in a house where my dad was sometimes the exploder, but sometimes the internalizer. For some of you, this is your reaction to conflict. Instead of pushing emotions outwards, you push them inwards. When the people around you ask, how are you doing? You say, oh, is something, is something wrong? You know, you've been giving them the silent treatment. And maybe they figure it out and they say, is something wrong? And you say, no, nothing. I'm fine. And you're lying. Because something's wrong and you're not fine. 
by the way, um, <laughs> just a hint, if, if this is you and uh, you like to give people the silent treatment, if the person you're giving the silent treatment to is an introvert, they're not going to think you're punishing them. <laughs> Louis the extrovert, I'm the introvert. When she gives me the silent treatment, I'm like, this is all, we could spend weeks like this. And I, my happiness levels were just, <laughs> silent treatment's not punishment for, for introverts. It's like, it's an answer to prayer. One of the, the things I've observed and in my experience with internalizers is, is, is when, when maybe the topic comes up or even just the internal dialogue that goes on, uh, they'll say to themselves or they'll say to you, look, I'm just not good at conflict. Has anyone ever heard someone say that? I don't want you to put your hands up, but think about for yourself, because remember this message is for me. I will not use it against you. Have you ever, while something's been tearing you apart on the inside and you've been pushing those emotions inwards, have you ever not handled it well and hidden behind the card, I'm just not good at conflict? If that's you, there's no judgment here, but I, I do need to say this to you. You don't get a get-out-of-jail-free card on this one. Uh, you might think that the exploder is the one that needs to hear this message because they're the ones that destroy the relationships, but actually internalizes. You actually start to destroy something of yourself. And you will start to destroy the relationships because communication breakdown is a precursor to relationship breakdown. So if you can't communicate what's going on on the inside, you'll find that not only will it eat you up on the inside, it'll actually destroy the trust and the transparency that's so vital to having healthy relationships. And by the way, exploders aren't good at conflict either. They do it, <laughs> but they're not very good at it. So we all, you know, we all need to improve the skills in how to handle this. And for the internalizers, Solomon gave some really simple, wise advice about how instead of reacting by pushing things inwards, you can respond. And this is what he said. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. If you internalize things and don't actually process them with the person or the people that are causing you the conflict or the issues... You're the fool in this equation and you will die a little each day by hiding behind the curtain of a lie that is, I'm fine. Whereas the lips of the righteous nourish many, if you can actually talk this stuff through, it can be healthy for both you and for the person you're in conflict with. And the reason I said you don't get a get out of jail free card is because Jesus didn't say, Everyone will know that the extroverts are my disciples by the love they have for one another. Everyone will know that the people who have gotten good at conflict resolution, that the, everyone will know that they are my disciples. He said, everyone will know you're my disciples 
by the love you have for one another. We've all got to get better at this. Figure out a response. Well, you know, what may be a little bit less obvious is the response that I would strongly encourage the exploders to develop. The skill is to pause. Internalizes, they've already got that skill down. Something happens to you, everything's on pause. My coaching to you is take it off pause at some point. Unpause at some point. With the person, because many of the internalizers, they just take time to process. Exploders don't bother. (laughs) Processing? But, but commit to the person that you've got this conflict with that you will put it on the table with them in an hour or two. Okay? Just look right now. I'm not actually ready to... Yes, how are you? Seems like something's bothering you. Nothing. I'm... F- actually, pause. Yes, something is bothering me. I'm not ready to talk about it yet. But how about in a couple of hours... We sit down and talk about this. That's a response, not a reaction, right? And in that couple of hours, trust that the same Holy Spirit who will tackle block for the exploder who learns to push pause will grow in you the confidence, the courage, the clarity. to process things with the other person. Um, as you develop these skills, the, I'm talking about you know, a one-off instance, but, I, but I'm actually talking about these as being lifelong skills. As you develop these lifelong skills, they become patterns. And it's upon those patterns that trust can be built like a house, course by course. Louis and I still have conflicts. There's very little crockery involved these days. Um, the, the, the length of time that the uh, volcano is erupting has truncated from, you know, days to uh, typically minutes. Um, the, 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 the frequency of the eruptions are, uh, have gone from minutes <laughs> to now sometimes weeks. We can go weeks without a brawl. Credible. So boring. (laughs) It's not boring, trust me. (laughs) Is that helpful for anyone this morning? Imagine the Bible being applicable to everyday life. Who'd have thunk it, huh? So you understand. We need to know who God is. We need to know who he says he is. And then out of that identity, well, what's the identity? Why, why would this make sense for being, why, why would this message of conflict resolution be, be about identity? Well, because Jesus says that everyone will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. Our identity above anything, our identity above a husband, a wife, a mother, a father, a neighbor, a boss, a colleague, uh, an employee. Our identity above all those things is that we're first and foremost a follower of Jesus. And it's that identity that should inform 
Everything we do. Everything we say. And uh, this is such a vital area where we can come unstuck. It's also a vital area where churches aren't exactly famous for. Right? Some of you have grown up in churches or you've circled in and out of churches. And uh, you've, been in, you, you've seen some of this stuff. And it hasn't been done well. Jesus' vision isn't for a church and a, and a church people where there's an absence of conflict. His vision is that we would do this better and demonstrate that our identity is his disciples, following him, taking his lead. Jesus didn't walk the earth in a conflict-free uh, modus operandi. He went nut bar on, in a temple one time, overturning tables and cracking a whip on people. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Some of you, I want to give you this opportunity right now as we close to actually make a decision to become, you become a follower of Jesus. I know most of you, I know most of your stories, I know most of you have made that decision, but some of you, some of you I don't yet know, or some of you, I don't yet know if you've made that particular decision. We want to give you the opportunity right now for you personally to make the decision to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, to actually give him control over your life. And we, we, we want to make sure, we, 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 we try and make sure we do this every single week because we don't want to leave, you to leave this place without having considered making the decision to follow Jesus. And hopefully actually making that decision saying, yes, I want to follow you. So right now, real quickly, as we finish, for those of you that have not yet made that decision to follow Jesus, I want you just actually to indicate that you're making that decision today. Just put your hand up You say, yep, that's me. You know, I'll see your hand and I'll ask you to put it down. But you're not, not actually saying yes to me. I mean, I'll see your hand, but just, that's just a way of acknowledging you're saying yes to Jesus, to following him. So real quickly. As we close, I'm looking across our auditorium, just for those of you that, that, that today, that's your next step. You need to make that decision. Just slip your hand up. And when I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray real quickly.